Welcome to Nonprofit Investment Stewards with Bob DeMeo and Devin Francis from Fiducian Advisors. Bob and Devin are passionate about helping nonprofit organizations prosper. Whether you oversee endowment, foundation, or retirement plan investments, this podcast exists to help stewards improve performance, reduce costs, and discover strategies that enable your charitable organization to prosper and advance its mission. Now, onto the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Nonprofit Investment Stewards Podcast. I'm Bob DeMeo. It's always good to be joined by co-host Devin Francis. Today's guest is incredibly accomplished with extensive experience at world-class organizations. He is about to share insights on two fronts. First, we'll talk about what's in the secret sauce for high-performing organizations, including how they approach managing their investments. Then we're coming right at you, the nonprofit leader, with great advice on what makes leaders effective and a whole lot more. Before that, Devin, how are things? Great, Bob. I'm always happy to be here. And today we are joined by Jeffrey Perry. Jeff is founder and CEO of Lead Mandates, LLC, an advisory firm that helps organizations improve business and leadership performance. He's a global strategic business advisor with relevant experience that spans 20 years, combined as a partner at Ernst & Young and A.T. Kearney. He is a highly skilled and passionate leader with a focus on purpose-led leadership and execution. Today, he's a member of both corporate and nonprofit boards, including Fortune Brands, Equitable Funds, Babson College, Chicago Children's Museum, the Harvard Business School African American Alumni Association, and more. So he's a busy man. Jeff received his BS in marketing quantitative methods with high distinction from Babson and his MBA from Harvard Business School. In addition, Jeff is included in Savoy Magazine's 2021 Most Influential Black Corporate Directors and Financial Times Agenda Diversity 100. Jeff, quite a resume you have. Welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you here. Great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Jeff, I echo Devin's thoughts. Great to have you here. And and with such extensive experience working for leading organizations and really world-class organizations, perhaps we can start with you bringing us up to speed on your current endeavors, including lead mandates. Yeah, so building on what has already been shared, I guess the way to think about it is to take you back to October 2020, when I announced my retirement from EY after 16 years and an actual 30-year career in uh, management consulting in in general. And on that day, I, I made three announcements. One, I just summarized my uh, career, which has already been uh, shared in terms of my role, um, in terms of leading clients, leading our people uh, during my career in in consulting. But the second thing that I announced on that day was my desire to lean into corporate board service, because as an active EY partner, I could only serve on nonprofit boards, um, which I have, but I as a retired partner, I have the opportunity to serve on for-profit boards. So what I'm currently doing, like as was mentioned, uh, since December 2020, been on the board of Fortune Brands uh, Home and Security. In 2021, I joined the board of Equitable Mutual Funds, and I will be joining a third uh, listed company board that will be announced um, later this year. So really excited about that. 
And then the third thing that was announced um, back in October was launching my LLC uh, LEAP mandates, which I basically did because I wanted to stay relevant in the marketplace of ideas and relevant as a, as a thought leader. So it gives me an opportunity to um, provide leadership and business um, advisory services. And so currently I'm involved in that as well as writing on a variety of business and leadership topics um, that helps organizations, both for-profit as well as nonprofit, um, navigate through the, uh, the unusual situations and, and uncertainty that we're all experiencing today. So that's what I'm um, currently focused on. And Babson College was also mentioned. And since the middle of last year, while I've been building my portfolio from a for-profit um, perspective, uh, at the middle of last year, I actually had the opportunity to become the chair of the board of trustees at Babson College, my, my alma mater. I just celebrated my 35th reunion from Babson. My second son is also a senior at Babson. So since the summer of last year, I became the chair of, board of the board of trustees. And for those of you who, are, who may not be familiar with Babson College, uh, it's a school that is founded and really grounded in the focus of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership. And it has been ranked number one in entrepreneurship for over uh, 25 years. Uh, and the focus of the school is basically to empower global leaders who create economic and social value everywhere. So it was somewhat of a plot twist in terms of me being uh, chair of the board of trustees, but that's that's something that um, I'm, I'm very passionate about as well. And one last thing, I did just finish my uh, six-year tenure as the chair of the Chicago Children's Museum at Navy Pier in Chicago. So if anyone is familiar with uh, Chicago and has been to uh, Navy Pier and has experienced uh, Chicago Children's Museum, uh, that's also been uh, an organization that I've been very much involved with as well. And what a special place that is. Oh, absolutely. So Jeff, we mentioned in the open that we'd ask you to tackle two main tracks. So let's begin with a macro look at high-performing organizations and work towards the endowments that support them. So starting with your, your website, your website is very robust and you write about the importance of purpose for a high-performing organization. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, and first of all, thanks for going to my website and reading some of my thought leadership. I, I certainly appreciate that. With regards to high-performing organizations, and I think this is relevant for for-profit as well as nonprofit organizations, one of the things that, that, that I've seen, um, particularly recently, is the importance of organizations to be um, very agile and to be able to adjust to the changing environments and the, uh, the challenges that um, are, are facing all enterprises um, you know, across society. And we saw that a lot through COVID in terms of how many organizations were able to adapt and change, exercise muscles that they didn't really know that they had. And organizations that were most successful in doing that were organizations that were already grounded in a clear sense of purpose and a clear strategy. So they had that foundational piece in place. And so it created a, an opportunity to 
um, be agile and, and nimble because it was based on something that was um, very meaningful to that particular organization, to stakeholders, customers, employees, et cetera. And I think that's a big distinction versus organizations that were quite frankly, rudderless, if you will. And it, it made it much more challenging in terms of navigating um, through the environment. And I saw that from a corporate perspective. I saw that from a higher ed perspective. And I also saw it from a, from a nonprofit um, perspective as well. Because I'm also a big believer that, um, uh, and the reason why, again, purpose and strategy is, is important is because those elements, when you enter into a crisis situation, um, the organizational culture is not developed during um, a crisis, it's actually revealed um, uh, through a crisis. So having those foundational pieces around purpose, strategy, focus have been really important uh, elements to help companies be successful and organizations be successful going forward. So we'll want to circle back to that, I think, particularly when we talk about track two, and that's some of the leadership, because it it is no small feat, right, to deal with the uh, sort of uh, issue du jour, while at the same time remaining focused over the longer term. So we'll want to circle back to that uh, when we chat about some of the personal leadership, particularly among nonprofits. But I'd like to chat a little bit about endowment management, and you play a critical role at Babson and, and, and other organizations as well. And I'm just curious, with the markets as volatile as they've been this year, again, not trying to get too caught up in the day-to-day, but curious if there's been any evolution in strategy or asset allocation uh, at Babson or any endowments that you may oversee. Yeah, I think my perspective here is based mostly on my Babson experience. Um, and I would say that at the school, there's definitely a focus on making sure that there is a, a balance in terms of growing the endowment, as well as um, being focused on current use um, opportunities, if you will. Now, we all know from a current use perspective, those areas tend to be um, very much focused on specific programs and specific initiatives that may be the passion of a donor or passion of um, uh, a certain entity. So, for example, at, at Babson, we were fortunate to receive a $50 million gift from the Arthur Blank Foundation. Arthur Blank is a Babson alum to fund uh, the uh, Arthur Blank School of Entrepreneurial Leadership. Again, expanding on the notion of entrepreneurship and, and entrepreneurial leadership. That's a that's a very focused um, uh, uh, use. At the same time, Babson focuses on making sure that endowment is viewed as importantly as current use. And even if it may not seem to be the most interesting, stressing why it's very important. And the way the school does that is because it grounds it in the purpose of the institution. So for example, if people are very passionate about certain scholarships that um, benefit Babson students today, there's the opportunity through contributions to the endowment to ensure that those scholarships are 
are endowed for a longer period of time and actually have a legacy um, associated with it. So uh, there's a very high focus on that in terms of articulating what are those key elements within the endowment that um, supports longer term uh, programs, if you will, and longer term elements that are really core to who the um, who the school is and, and the populations that it serves. So making sure that it's beyond just thinking of, oh, endowment isn't very interesting or isn't very exciting and current use is far more interesting, but underscoring the fact that you have to have uh, investments from a longer term perspective that are aligned with the purpose of the institution. Yeah, fundraisers always say that it's harder to raise funds for endowment purposes because just like you said, they're they're not quite as exciting uh, if, if the money doesn't get put to work right away, but of course are so important to the sustainability of, of the institution. So as we stay on the topic of endowment investing, can you share your thoughts with us uh, with regard to mission-aligned investing or ESG investing, and then perhaps also DEI and B with regard to investment management? And you know, I know that the two are distinct and separate, but they do sometimes go hand in hand. So do you have any thoughts about either of those two topics? From an ESG perspective, that landscape continues to uh, evolve. One of the things that we've done from a uh, Babson perspective is to make uh, a commitment around uh, responsible investing. And that's part of the, the charter of um, uh, our investment committee. Uh, I also have a unique role as being a board member of um, equitable mutual funds, whereby um, many of the funds in the portfolio may have ESG strategies, et cetera. And then from a corporate um, perspective on, on Fortune Brands, understanding um, an ESG story that uh, corporations need to, to craft as well. My perspective on ESG is that um, it is an evolving area. It will continue to evolve, and it can actually make a difference in terms of how um, investment decisions are being made and uh, can have a, a very you know, positive impact from an overall uh, uh, return perspective. I also have a view on um, ESG that basically says that because the environment is evolving um, so quickly, it's really important to be um, really strategic and focused in terms of what elements of ESG really matter, either from an investor perspective, from a corporate perspective, uh, et cetera. And by having the perspectives on ESG grounded in strat again in strategy and purpose, it allows certain organizations to um, lead and tell a story from an ESG perspective that's very authentic, as opposed to just being reactionary around every topic that 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 comes up. And it also uh, eliminates the ability for organizations to take kind of a peanut butter approach as it relates to ESG. So those are some of my thoughts there. I know I came at it from multiple different lenses and perspectives, which I actually think is valuable for the different um, uh, seats that I'm, you know, that I'm in going forward. You also asked about DEI. I think um, 
from a DEI perspective, you know, at Babson, it's something that's very much integrated across the institution from the faculty, the staff, the board experience, uh, the student experience, et cetera. Um, and it's fundamental to how the institution thinks about what makes for an entrepreneurial leader, um, which is uh, someone with the ability to lead diverse teams, to understand different points of view and perspective. So it's kind of embedded in the DNA um, of the institution. I think in terms of endowment management and uh, investment committees and so on and so forth, I think it shows up in terms of the composition of our investment committee, uh, individuals with significant investment experience, but from a um, diversity of perspectives, you know, some are very steeped in equities, others in fixed income, others have um, perspectives on, on private equity or um, social impact investing. So having those multiple perspectives, I think, from a tactical perspective uh, in our investment committee is something that's helpful as well. And before we move on, Jeff, you used an interesting phrase that I've never heard before. You said um, the the peanut butter approach with regard to ESG investing. Can you explain what you mean by that? And you, it's yeah. something that you are trying to avoid using the peanut butter approach. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I actually wrote an article on that. Uh, it's on my website. It's called Authentic ESG, uh, Not Whack-A-Mole Nor Peanut Butter. <laughs> and the peanut butter approach is to say that um, and let's take it from a corporate perspective, th that um, you're going to approach everything the same um, from an ESG perspective. So like cover the entire landscape from an ESG perspective and try to be all things to all people. Um, I fundamentally think that that is not a, a sustainable approach because what you'll find is in many organizations, there's certain things that are material from an ESG perspective based on the company strategy and based on um, uh, their purpose. And those are the areas that uh, organizations can actually lean in and be leaders in, and then just be threshold in, in, in everything else. And I, I think that's a, a, an approach that is more effective because the ESG landscape continues to evolve. So if you try to be all things to all people, you can never stay ahead of it. And then on the other end, the whack-a-mole is just being reactionary um, and responding to things as, as they pop up. My argument is that organizations are more successful when they pick the areas where they actually can lead in that are authentic to who they are, they're likely to be more sustainable uh, longer term and then be threshold in other areas. That's helpful, Jeff. And, and I think now is probably a great time to shift to our second track, and that is insights for nonprofit leaders or quite frankly, leaders of any organization for that matter. Um, it's really important as we head towards potentially even more challenging economic periods to think about this and leadership and such. And if we start bigger picture, focus on one of the recent white papers that caught my eye on your website with a great title, Great Resignation Refocused as Great Reengagement. Would you just share a little bit about that interesting title? Yeah, again, thanks for um, reading the article. Um, I tried to come up with uh, topics that are, are meaningful based on 
what we're all experiencing today. And of course, there's been significant discussion about the uh, great resignation, but I wanted to take a step back and think about it a little bit um, uh, differently. And what, what I basically write about is that, what I basically uh, write about is that the great resignation really isn't something that's terribly new. Uh, and if you go back, uh, there have been people looking at different opportunities for for many um, of, of the past several years, quite frankly, since 2014. It's just that during COVID, it became very much accelerated and coming out of COVID became very, very accelerated um, with over, I believe, 47 million um, departures in 2021. So many organizations have focused on, okay, what do I need to do to uh, keep my talent? And, you know, they've come up with different ideas around flexibility, about pay, about um, um, health and wellness, et cetera. But rather than just being reactionary and, and starting to put things on the table to see what will resonate with uh, employees, other organizations uh, have an approach that I would describe more as the great re-engagement. So rather than giving people reasons just, just to, um, you know, not to leave, if you will, but to create an organization that is compelling and that really sends the message to why people should want to work um, uh, at the organization and to have uh, compelling work and career opportunities and just a more proactive approach as opposed to a reactionary one. And so that's really the premise of the, um, uh, 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 the article that I wrote. Um, and I also cite in there that, you know, 81% of, of business leaders believe that when their employees are um, very much actively engaged, that that is a key driver of overall um, retention. So creating those, those, those reasons and um, compelling stories for why people want to be in certain organizations as opposed to just trying to keep them from leaving. Yeah, that's a great perspective, Jeff. So let's shift to a discussion on personal leadership in nonprofit organizations. And, you know, as Bob mentioned, this advice can apply to any sort of, of leader. Um, in your personal leadership service offering, you talk about the role that vulnerability plays. And that's a little different than what listeners might have heard before. So can you share some insight about that? Yeah, I think the notion of vulnerability, um, particularly in the environments that, that we're in now, is um, as important now more, more than ever. I mean, if you take a step back, if you think about some of the traditional things that we think about from a leadership perspective, it's around, you know, insights and um, being able to inspire people and being able to um, uh, have answers to, to, to problems and, and problem solving, et cetera. But we are in such an environment where things are changing uh, so rapidly that the notion of being vulnerable and not having all the answers and needing additional perspectives uh, and taking accountability are things that people don't naturally think about. But if you actually can harness that, it can be a very um, powerful it could be a very powerful leadership uh, 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 tool, if you will. And the, that, the reason being is that it creates the opportunity to develop uh, deeper relationships with uh, uh, the teams that are being uh, led. And by letting your guard down and 
basically saying, we are facing challenges and I don't have all the answers. You're actually inviting people in the organization to play a bigger role in developing solutions. And that drives engagement and that drives affinity. And uh, it can be very, it can be very um, powerful. So things like sharing what the organizational challenges are, as opposed to trying to protect the rest of the team from what the, the real challenges are. Um, acknowledging that um, you don't have all the answers. Again, that invites people in to be part of the solution. And then um, uh, another element of taking responsibility, personally taking responsibility for your own actions, including mistakes. Um, now, What's interesting about that one is that sometimes people believe, okay, now I'm exposing that I'm not perfect and I, I've made mistakes, but the real benefit of it is that it actually models the behavior that we expect from people across our organizations to you know, take responsibility and to take ownership. And when you as a leader demonstrate the ability to take responsibility for your own actions, it creates a platform to hold other people accountable. Because if you're holding yourself accountable, then you can hold others accountable as well. So that was the that was the note, that was the notion there that um, it's just a different way of thinking about uh, uh, a leadership in a way that actually uh, can lead to stronger and more effective um, leaders going forward. That's really helpful. So I guess um, I'll just ask another follow-up question. Other than vulnerability and personal responsibility and accountability, um, are there any other qualities that you think really make for effective leaders? Yeah, there are several, um, but a couple that come to mind is uh, just the notion of we as leaders have to be open to lifelong learning. Um, gone are the days of where you go to undergrad, you go to grad school, you start your career, you develop a track record of performance, um, you ascend to leadership levels, either in companies or in nonprofit organizations and everything like that. And again, you know, have all of this, this wisdom and perspective. That's all great and that's all foundational. But another thing that's really important is the ability to continue to learn and to, to continue to um uh, learn new skills and and flex um, muscles that you hadn't flexed before. So I think particularly today, um, the most effective leaders are actually lifelong learners. Um, and you know I've written about that as well. And you know you look at people like Warren Buffett invested eighty percent of his time in reading and thinking um, throughout his career. And um, Bill Gates read a book a week, including a yearly two-week reading vacation throughout his entire career. So, um, and these are very successful people that are um, lifelong learners. Jeff, you shed a lot of terrific insights. Anything else that you'd like to share or underscore? Yeah, I think the other thing that I think is relevant for the current environment that we're in um, and the, the pressures that leaders have in, in nonprofits as well as in, in, in corporations is the importance of just having um, uh, personal balance in terms of being able to, um, uh, what I like to use the term of harmonizing 
um, fee time, free time, and me time. So fee time is what you're paid to do. Um, free time is your volunteerism and in, in, in giving back to society. And then me time is making time for uh, yourself, family, and friends. And given all of the pressures that everyone is under, having that balance and the, the ability to harmonize across those dimensions, I think are really important. And that gets to the notion of the importance of being present. So if you're um, working and you're you're focused on a set of issues to to be present in that and um, not be distracted. Um, that's also true if you're serving nonprofits. Um, you know, lean into the issues that you're trying to uh, address during your volunteerism to make sure that you're impactful. And then when you are um, focused on yourself, making sure that you're taking time to. Um, uh, uh, recover and refresh and re-energize and all those things are, are related. So I think that's a, an, an important skill that uh, leaders today really need to have. That's great. I, I like that, uh, the, the cadence of that. Fee time, free time, and me time. So while we're on that topic, when you're away from your work and your volunteer activities, so outside of that fee time and that free time, what do you like to do with your me time? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things that I always say is that if I if I write about something, I have to make sure that I'm like actually doing it in my own life. <laughs> so um, with with my me time, uh, it's got a, a, a few dimensions. Uh, I'm a I'm a very avid connected fitness enthusiast. Um, I'm a avid Peloton bike rider. I have a Peloton Tread Plus. Have a tonal um, uh, digital weight system. I have a hydro rower. And um, so I'm really into that. And in fact, actually had the opportunity to ride my Peloton bike on a Good Morning America segment back in 2018. They were featuring uh, Peloton riders in New at the New York studio, the GMA studio, and they were featuring two home riders, a, a woman from LA and me from Chicago. So if you ever look it up, it's actually on my website too, mm. of me riding my Peloton bike <laughs> on, on Good Morning America. So I'm very much into that um, because I'm a big believer in um, physical fitness. I also think that that enhances um, you know, my leadership um, personally. I'm also an avid golfer. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not a great golfer, but I, I, I do enjoy, uh, uh, the game and it's, uh, something that we also do together as a family and related to family. Uh, we enjoy international travel. Uh, my wife and I have three, um, uh, kids, um, there were technically empty nesters. Now my youngest daughter just started uh, freshman, her freshman year in college. Uh, we also have a, a college graduate and my, um, other son is a uh, college senior. So enjoy spending time with them. And we enjoy um, traveling together and have some great memories um, from that as well. So those are some of the things that uh, uh, round out my, my me time. Absolutely. That's great. So Jeff, before we let you go, if listeners want to learn more about you or lead mandates, how would you direct them? Yeah, you can go to my website at leadmandates.com. Uh, there you'll see um, services, um, both business services as well as leadership services um, described there. In addition, there's a thought leadership 
section um, that features um, the different articles that I write. You can go there and subscribe for updates. Um, and I also post those um, articles on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. That's great. Well, we are so appreciative of your time and your expertise and the, the varied perspectives that you have. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. I really appreciated the opportunity. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, and Jeff shared excellent insights. For more on the topic of endowment management during tough times, check out an article I just wrote titled, At Your Side for the Rough Ride. We'll include that in the show notes, as well as a link to Fiducian's website, where you can access many timely resources. So to all you good stewards, thanks for investing time to help your nonprofits prosper. We'll connect with you soon on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Investment Stewards podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified of new episodes and visit fiduciantadvisors.com for more information. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Fiducian Advisors. Content is made available for informational and educational purposes only and does not represent a specific recommendation. Always seek the advice of qualified professionals familiar with your unique circumstances.